Welcome to Ralph Pinson's podcast, where ancient wisdom meets modern man. This episode is sponsored by Anonymous, in honor of Ralph Pinson being a source of light and life in his world, and b'schos, shalom bias, and livelihood for him, his wife, and his baby. Today's episode begins our Q&A series. So our first question today is from Dave. He would like to ask the following question to the Rav. I have read many of Rav's books and listened to a handful of shiurim, and one topic that is often discussed is the idea of ishtavos, equanimity, living with oneness. He says, my question is as follows. How does one know when to balance out his ishtavos accordingly? Say that he has reached a high level of oneness and where nothing seems to faze him because he understands that all is one and the same. Being that the source of it all is Hashem, and that Hashem never changed, right. so to um, his reality. So a practical example would be that something difficult is going on for him at home, or let's say in one's business, there's a large unexpected expense that comes about that seems impossible to pay. You are cool and collected because you have reached a healthy place of ishtavus and trust that you will be able to take care of this bill in due time with the help of Hashem. It doesn't throw you off. Your spouse, however, or your business partner are not living in the same sphere of equanimity and are thus extremely stressed and uneasy about this situation. Okay. So the question How is, can you be sensitive to them and acknowledge their stress and their lack of equanimity while still holding strong to your hishtavos that you cherish very much? Can this be done in a balanced way? Okay. it's a very good question. Um, it's very important to understand when we talk about hishtavos, which is uh, translated as equanimity, some people make the mistake to think that Ishtavos actually means like to be stoic to life and indifferent. Mm. That it means like I'm transcendent of all the drama of life and therefore I'm in a very stoic, balanced place that nothing can really affect me. But stoicism, this idea of being stoic and being like indifferent to life is not the objective. That's not the objective of life. I know we were created in a, in a body and in, in life and within this world, and um, and because of that, we we're meant to experience this world. It's it's a different type of way of engaging with the world, as opposed to being transcendent of the trauma and becoming indifferent to creation and and to others. It's it's a it's a way to be engaged in a healthy space. So. That's the first very important thing to, to think about when we think about this idea of equanimity, that it's not to be stoic and indifferent, but to be engaged from a transcendent place. But to be engaged. It sounds almost paradoxical, but that's the, the nature of this, of this quality. And it's a certain quality where everything is exactly the way it should be, always. That's the, the awareness. And therefore, um, whatever is occurring in your life, if you're being like the classic example of Ishtavos, the way it's brought down in Mirus and I'm, Yitzhak Dvinako and others, other Svarim, Yitzhak and others Svarim bring this down, um, is that idea whether you're being praised or being belittled and you feel the same, the same, which means that, you know, let's just talk about that for a second. In other words, when someone else praises you, or someone else is engaged in a conversation with you, um, indifferent to the person's, you know, uh, communication to you is not a healthy thing. It's not a good thing. It's not, it's not, it's not, that's not something we're aspiring to do. 
that you'll say, okay, I'm indifferent to what you say, and it doesn't matter what you say. You're going to say that I'm good or bad or um, you know, I'm Shlomo Aslam. Whatever you say about me is not going to have an effect on you. Really what you're saying is like, I'm not taking you seriously, mm. that your words don't really matter to me. That's not a, that's not a spiritually evolved state. Right. Um, that's just as being arrogant in a, in a very deep way. Um, so indifference is, an, is a type of arrogance. It's, it's a simultaneous awareness of being present to the person's conversation and communication to you, which, which means very present and hearing this person as saying something that's insulting or something that's, that's being praised. And then the way, you're, the way it's like reinterpreted in your own consciousness is a way that doesn't affect you for better or for worse. But there is disengagement. The first step is disengagement with the other person in a real way, um, and therefore it could be you could choose to accept the praise as well because you're actually hearing it as praise. It's not that you're not hearing it as praise and you're indifferent to what the person's saying. That's why even in the, like in, in the Zohar, on a very deep level, where it talks about the Rashbi, and it says that um, sometimes he was down, and we had like some type of the cockles, a constriction of mind on that, whatever level that was. And his students would say, like, who is the greatest person alive? And they say, Rashbi. And that sort of awoken in him with a certain type of response, and then he was able to teach correctly. So Rashbi was like a little kid, like, you know, basically say, you're great, and also. No, Rashbi wanted the students of his to be the proper receivers of his wisdom. And the only way the students were able to receive that if they acknowledged that the teacher is the teacher that will teach them that wisdom. So it's almost like a game that he's playing, but he's allowing them to evoke this type of praise towards him, and he's receiving it as praise, and then he's showing them that if this is praise, this is what I will, I will tell you. So, again, in terms of like the being sens- sensitive to other other people, of course you're sensitive to other people. This whole conversation is really a question; is really not a real question if you understand what Ishtavos is. If you're saying that I'm in a state of like bliss, or like what we'll call dveikos some type of spiritual bliss where I'm completely detached from everything physical and I don't experience anything in a real way. And I don't. Okay, then the question is, if I'm living in that place, how do I engage with people that are still living in a different, in a different place? But that's not the ultimate. That's not the place to be. The place is not to be in a place that you're completely transcendent of others and, and of life. It's to experience life from a place of equanimity. You know, the Baal Shem Tov once said that when he was younger... Uh, it's not really about the Shtavos, even though the Tzuvas Rivash, one of the classic books of the Baal Shem, actually begins with the practice of Shavisi, of Ishtavos, of equanimity. But the Baal Shem once said that when he was younger, when he would walk in the street and someone would stop him to say hello, it would, it would break his concentration and his intention and his dvekas, and therefore he felt like, you know, like he lost his equilibrium. He says when he got older... That he said when he got older, he realized that he was able to include that. That's really the ultimate objective. We're trying to get to a place where Ishtavos is not a detachment from life, but it can be a totally engaged way of being from a different place. So therefore, of course, you're always sensitive to the people in the conversation um, that are not experiencing it. Um, the only thing is you would hope that if you have like a, re- a relationship, especially if it's a spouse or a co-worker or someone that you're in, has some type of deeper relationship with, if you're actually living in this place and it's real to you, then it would have an effect on everyone that's around you. It, it, it's it's contagious. I mean, if a person sees you living this way and it's real to you and it's truth to you, 
I think that has an effect on others, and therefore, again, that's really not a good question because if you were living it, really living in that, in that place, the people around you would respond in kind the same way, I believe. Thank you. Okay. Okay, we have a second question from Mordechai. Yeah. He's asking, what is a woman's role in Judaism in 2022, this year we're in? I've heard Rav Pinson speak a bit about how it's better for a woman to learn Kabbalah than if they were to read something with no or negative value. He's not quoting directly, he okay. says. Is there a larger framework which that fits into? Has a woman's role changed, or was it previously misunderstood? This is a very good question. Um, there is like a, a grand, a big picture vision where in the language of world sites of the deeper secrets of the Torah, there's an idea of Malchus, Malchus, which is like the, the receiver and the, the, the final receiver, the final sphera. And there's Nekeva Deseva Gavar, this idea in the Messianic time that uh, a rising of a type of feminine quality. And the feminine quality works this, every, ma every man has a feminine quality as well. And in comparison, so there's always like the, re the receiver and the giver in terms of relationships. So like in the book of Shir Shir, Hashem is the, is the male and Knesset is so, and we are the female, we're the feminine, collectively receiving. And then the idea generally of the feminine, of the quality of Malchus rising, is that um, we're more participatory in our spirituality. That it was... Um, there's a type of top-down type of paradigm, the way we understand things, which was, for many years, this is the way spirituality was revealed from the top-down. And if you look at, like, this, the classic example for this would be, uh, like, the Torah, like, learning Torah. Torah is, like, of the Malamdi Torah, that the father teaches the child Torah. So it's it's a top-down as a, as a teacher and as a student. And then when it talks about a, a like more messianic vision of the world, so no man will teach other person because everyone will know, will know Hashem. Um, and then the book of Malachi talks about the Heshelavavazalvanim, that they'll be returned to their children. So Chazal say, through the children, that the children will, will cause the parents to return, cause the parents to do tshuva. So instead of the paradigm going from top down, it's actually working the, the reverse, which is the bottom up. So that's more of a messianic idea. As we're moving towards uh, towards Mashiach, as we're getting closer to the, to the final redemption, so we already have like a we have like already a taste of that future time in the present. So I think that's that's the general rise of you know femininity and the feminist movement. All these things are connected to a very spiritual overarching thing that's going on in this world and um, and therefore the the you know there's definitely a, a participation that has to be involved and but the, the real question is that sometimes people think that equality is sameness mm. that um, just because we're trying to reach an equal world which of course that's the ultimate just world um, and that's like the ultimate idea of peace Shalom, peace, but peace is sort of like a um, is like a it's a puzzle. It's a puzzle with a lot of pieces, 
if every part piece of the puzzle says I want to be exactly like the other part of the puzzle, then it's, you're not going to have a puzzle. And in this great surah, this great form of Adam Kadman, um, there is different souls, the Shamas the Ban, the Shamas the Mad, there's feminine souls, masculine souls, and really every person has to really be doing themselves, doing them well. So uh, part of like the, the, the feminine quality in general, which can also a male can have this feminine quality, but it's more dominant than females, but it's a masculine and feminine quality within males and females, is more nurturing and more about presence and immediacy um, versus transcendence and goal and, and ideas like that. So the, the, the masculine quality is more about transcendence, more like a vertical expansion, whether up or down. Um, it's, it's also reflected in the, the physio physiologically in the parts of the body that the, the masculine represents this more vertical idea and the feminine represents more horizontal expansion. So presence, uh, nurturing and presence, it's a very important thing. So we, you look at like some of the, the profound revelations, the like, you know, the Torah of Mashiach is being revealed right from the times of the Baal Shem Tov. You'll see that the Baal Shem in the, in the famous metaphor is like sort of brought heaven down to earth or a lot of different metaphors how this, this idea was that basically what, what, what the Ari, what early Kabbalists and Kabbalah were talking about Hashem as a transcendent being up there the Malshem the Torah is brought, brought, brought a revealing of Hashem's presence which is a feminine quality in general um, so I, therefore I think that it's, it's important that uh, when we get involved of course in, the, in Yiddishkeit in a very deep way, in a very, very serious way. And uh, that statement is true. In other words, um, the, you know, the Gemara, there's different opinions whether women should learn to or not, the Kalama Tuflis, there's other things. But today, that, that a lot of conversations really doesn't, doesn't apply anymore because today women are studying everything. They're, they're astrophysicists and they're, and they're scientists and they're writers, so they should certainly study Torah in a very, very deep way. Um, and... Obviously, this is what Hashem wants, because this is the Ashkach of what's happening in this world. So, so uh, this has to be done. Thank you for that. Um, moving on to our next question. Yeah. Hmm. This is from Ariel. Okay. Why shouldn't Yidin Jews, sp yeah. specifically observant Jews, why shouldn't they be moving to Israel en masse in this day and age as we daven three times a day for Hashem to take us back to gather the exiles? Not to say we have merited the complete redemption yet, but is there a meaningful reason that Balabatim, like, you know, regular, you know, uh, homeowners, workers, Talmud Chachamim, and simple Jews shouldn't be going to live in the Holy Land? How can one daven such words without feeling hypocritical? Okay, there's a, there's, a few, there's a few questions over here. Yeah. Um, one question is if there's a mitzvah you should learn to sell or not. Is there actually a mitzvah to, to live in the land of Israel? That's okay. a big machlekes. Um, the other question sounds like, is, is it hypocritical to say that this is really a question, I don't want to get into like the, the, the nitty-gritty of this, but this is really a question um, when the person says it's not a complete redemption, it sounds like it's a partial redemption. Um, this is like the opinion, which is closer to the version of the Yerushalmi, it says that Mashiach will come, Mashiach will come slowly. It's a slow process. The redemption is a slow process. 
And when you see Kibbutz and Chayisol, you see that Jews are all gathered together in one place in Eretz Yisrael. You see this at the beginning of the flowering of Mashiach. And then the question, so that's one thing, and that's contrary to the opinion of the Rambam, which says that it'll come in a different way. It won't come slowly. The Rambam rules that way. Um, so that, that's that's why it's not, a, that's why, and in terms of like the contradiction, it's really not a contradiction because you're not, it's not really, it's not at all a contradiction because you're saying Hashem should return us. Mm-hmm. That we're waiting for Hashem to return us. Okay, now you're saying that the state of Israel is Hashem returning to the same? Okay, that's already a, it's a big conversation. Whether 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 that is or it's not, um, it's too early to tell about that. But there's a, there's, a, there's certainly an idea of, of the Kedusha Sarat Yisrael. Forget about the idea of the Kedusha Sarat Yisrael. It's the Kedusha Sarat Yisrael to live in the land of Israel. And someone that has the opportunity and doesn't have an achrayis to this world, to live outside of Eretz Yisrael, means a certain obligation. You know, the, the obligation is that if you're if you're placed in America or wherever you are in Europe, in Europe, and you're doing something for Yiddishkeit in that place, and you're furthering Yiddishkeit in the place where you are, so Mashem it's puts every person in the right place in the right time, and there's obviously sparks that you have to elevate to where where, where we are. We're not yet Mashiach hasn't yet arrived, at least on a cosmic level. Um, so therefore, wherever you are, you have to make sure that the Mahda is soul. You have to make your little Eretz soul where you are. Yes, you can have Shifas to go to Eretz soul, but, but the idea of to being in, in, in Golos, there's, there's um, inherent value to wherever you are. And uh, I don't know if Hashem puts you there, this, in, the depth, in the depth of where you are is the Nukud of Eretz soul, to recognize that. Thank you. All right, our next question is from David. He says that the Gemara in Avodah Zarah, Daf 4b and 5a, says that David HaMelech, King David, was brought to the incident with Bathsheba. And I assume most people know about this story, where uh, seemingly he sinned with with a woman, and Klal Yisrael was brought to the incident of the golden calf. That this was was an order to teach us tshuva. Seemingly, we were pushed into these things. Rashi and other Mephorashim explain that the normal protection against such a grave sin was held back. How is this to be understood? Why were they responsible for the for the golden calf if it was not their fault? This is a very complicated, uh, complicated question. Yeah. Um, it goes back to like really, there's. There are two things at play simultaneously in life. There's your individual story that's being played out with your individual choices. Like, do I do this or do I do that? And then these are my choices that I'm making constantly at moment to moment. And then there is certain people, we could say everybody, but certain, let's say, biblical characters for sure, Torah characters, that are also represent a... A, like an archetype, like it, there's there's a, there's a meta story that's happening. There's a there's a micro story that's happening where you where David Amalek is a very particular person with his own struggles or not struggle. Libachal Bikirvi is a tzaddik, whatever. However you understand that, his own personal life and he's doing a personal thing for his own life. And then there's David Amalek as the archetype, which is like a meta story that he's living out. Hmm. So sometimes. People that learn a little bit side, 
some of the, the deeper secrets in narratives of the Torah, will be drawn to like the meta story, and sort of say that Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Sar, all these all these biblical characters, the Torah characters, are constructs. They're they're archetypes. They're not like real people. It was mm-hmm. Avram represents an idea of Chesed and how Chesed would interact with Gvura or something like that, um, which is incorrect because that's half the story. Avram was was that. Plus, he was an individual person, that there wasn't actually a physical person that was born and died, and his name was Avram. So the stories, the stories of the Torah are basically two stories, which in a, on a bigger picture, it's also our story. But well, let's, let's look at the, the Torah itself, because there is that hidden story that's being told. But the, the revealed story of the Torah is there is a story of the, the individuals and the story of the collective. So... When the Chazal talk about, like, you know, the Gemara says in Shabbos, like, whoever says that David made a mistake, whoever said that Shlomo made a mistake, Toya, or Reuven, you know, it's not true. Chazal are talking about whatever it means to sin on that level of these are very big tzaddikim. So, whatever it means, um, and then, you know, the Merkava, I mean, we're talking about the real, you know, the highest level of people. Um, Chazal are talking about the bigger picture, the 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 macro picture, the bigger narrative from the story of the archetype. Like, what is Dov the Melech's narrative? Like, why is it relevant to me? Why is it relevant to you? Like, what's the story relevant to us? So there was a let's say if he, if if Dov the Melech was just an individual person. So there were tr- there were trillions of people that lived, billions of people that lived throughout all of history that lived very individual lives. So why am I interested about? Someone that lived, you know, a few thousand years ago. Why am I interested about someone that lived 40 years ago in Ethiopia? And he was like a married guy. That's what he did. Like, who cares? Because the story is not just a story about an individual, but it's a story about it's a story about us. And that's that's what an archetype means. It's it's our story. It's a spark, it's something that's relevant in our own personal life. We have a daven amalek within us, as it were. There's a malchus within us, which is a daven. So, and we have these same type of issues that come up. So when you're talking about David the Malach as an individual person, then he has pure, he has, he, has, he has free choice. Like, and you know, he could do this or he could not do that. Like he's an individual person. But then when you pull back this, the lens and you see David the Malach as, as an archetype, as someone that's going to teach us for thousands of years what it means to be a certain way, or the story of the eagle is the same story, it's not just a story of a particular people that happened thousands of years at one time, you know, for a few days, because millions of stories happened to a few people, a thousand, a million, and that's that's not relevant. But that story is an is an archetype story. It's 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 a paradigm. It's it's a story that's that's informing us for the rest of all of history, for all the rest of history. So then, therefore, when Chazal, when the sages are looking at the story, they're saying. If you want to talk about the individual story as individual people, okay, of course, whatever they they they, they get they did their own pira. But if we we're looking at the story, pulling back our lens and saying, so this is a story about David. This is what he did with Bathsheba. This is the story of the eagle. What he, what is it coming to teach us? What is the bigger story that's unfolding? It's relevant to our own life. Then that's where Chazal are going to say that it's uh, it's lahars l'mdarek tshuva to teach us the way of tshuva, to a certain way of being. That even if we fall, we can get we can return. That's what the story is being is being told. That's where the story becomes an important story. That's where the story becomes a meta story, uh, a story for all of for all of time, by by gleaning the lessons. We're not talking about the individual people that did the eagle, what they did, what they had. Obviously, the Torah actually says that they were punished, etc. That's a, that's a, 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 that's very talking about in the in the 
in the particular in the particularity in the individual story. Chazal are talking about the bigger picture. Mm. So we have to understand it in general because a lot of times people confuse a lot of different types of gemaras, a lot of different types mm. of different sages that say this person didn't really mean this, this person didn't mean that, but, but maybe he did. Yeah, maybe he did from that individual level, but from the bigger picture, where we're looking at it as his story, as an archetype story that's teaching us something that's that's relevant. It becomes part of part of part of the Messiah, part of the tradition. It becomes part of the revelation. It's in Tanakh, mm-hmm. part of uh, especially the story of the Miracle, uh, the story of the angel. It's part of the Torah itself. Um, so of course, there's like a bigger story that's being told. What's the bigger story? That's Chazal we're trying to figure out. What's the bigger story that's relevant to us? Thank you. All right, our next question is from Jacob. If one has already been through many svarim of the Talmidei HaBal Shem, the students of the Baal Shem Tov, and wants to enter into more of the secrets of the Torah, what would that process look like? And are there any good introduction svarim or books to understand the language of the Arizal in a safer like Eitz Um, obviously, this, I, first of all, I don't know what, you know, what, it, what it means, a lot of Svarim Bal Shem. I mean, a person could be busy just with the Svarim Bal Shem his whole life. Mm-hmm. And if he studies Chabad Chassidus, he could be just busy with Chabad Chassidus his whole life. So it's a very hard statement to say. We, if a person dabbles a little bit in the teachings of the Bal Shem, wants to know a little bit more, you know, there's, um, there's, a, there's a diff, there are different, there's different, Paths of understanding the nimshal of the Balshem, uh, of the Arizal, the interpretation of the Arizal, because the, 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 the Arizal spoke in code, it's a martial, it's a metaphor. And there are different schools of thought that develop this. So you have to uh, choose, a th- choose a path. I mean, if you have the Moich and the Gavos, you can maybe learn all the paths, um, expand the mind, but you have to choose a path. Chassidus, for example, is, a, is an interpretation. Like Dalt Rebbe writes in the Geras Hakodesh that uh, that he's going to explain the Torahs of Balshem, the Mashal Balshem, and the Nimshal of Torahs Achsidus, uh, the, the Mashal of Darizal mm. through the Nimshal of the teachings of the Balshem. So if you look at look at the Torah, if you study look at the Torah, you study Dalt Rebbe's teachings, that's what Dalt Rebbe is doing. He's taking he's taking uh, the ideas that it's spoken about in in Kisferi, and he's giving them the Nimshal of, of of what that actually means, the interpretation of what that actually means. That's a Torah Shleim. I mean, that's they can be involved your whole life with. Um, in terms of like basic other Svarim, just to understand a little bit what Dari is talking about, even just just what the words mean and what what you know how to handle them. So Oitzus Chaim is like the, the classic book for the for the Ander Rizal, uh, the Rebbe Chaim wrote, which is like a more a general introduction to the teachings of Dari, and. Um, and you, I would, you generally would start, I would start probably with Shai Oira from the Yazid Gikataliyev. That's like a really fundamental safer in Lan Kabbalah. And then Shemar Munim, Shemar Munim Akadun, which is by Yosef Igras, which is like in a conversation mode, back and forth, um, to explain a lot of these principles. These are, these are written before the before the diary. And B.S. Aspheres from Zerayi Vigarona is a very good preliminary cipher as well. Also, Avoyed Shakoidish from Rebbe Gabbai. I'm just giving you that form, like, that mm-hmm. could be helpful. Avoyed Shakoidish from Rebbe Gabbai could be helpful. Um, yeah, then you have to find yourself a teacher, ultimately, because a lot of things are just in Svarm. You need to, there's a certain, it's, uh, it says, Achsidish Svarm, I think. Uh, 
Marva Shemesh writes that the site of the Torah, the site of the Torah, the site of the Torah is called the site of secret. But it's not a secret. It's open. To, it's, you open a book. It's there. Why is it a secret? Sometimes it's actually Nigla is even a bigger secret because it's yeah. Like you learn the whole Gemara Shabbos. The Gemara says it's like you know, all the Shabbos is like a small little thing. Uh, the Dharm, the Farz and Dharm. Like you have to know how to tease it out and tease it out. It's much harder to study Gemara than maybe study Zayin. So the site is a secret that's that's given over. That's mm-hmm. that's the, like the. I don't want to say that word, but the magic, you know, that, that you have to receive from a teacher to give it over to you. You have to find yourself the right teacher. Thank you. Well, good luck to you, Jacob. Exactly. Hopefully, <laughs> hope this gives you some direction. Yeah. For our next question, we have one from our friend Louis. Yeah. How does one strengthen their amuna in Ashkacha Pratis in a way of das, yeah. as opposed to uh, an emotional Amuna by stories and moivsim, which are like uh, miracles and yeah. weird coincidences. He says, "Yeah." Um, he says the above doesn't last; it only lasts until the next fabrengen. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I think there's a big mistake about the pratis. People are think that people think about the pratis. means means divine providence, right? Specifically, you know, detail. Um, People think that Ashkacha Pratis means, for example, that, you know, you missed the train or the bus, or, you know, a car came late, taxi came late, and therefore you came late to the airport, you missed the plane, and that plane crashed. So your life was saved. That's Ashkacha Pratis. It is Ashkacha Pratis. But Ashkacha Pratis also is if the train came on time, you got onto the plane, nothing eventful happened, and you landed. That's Ashkacha Pratis. Ashkacha Pratis means... Not when there's a weird coincidence and you say, oh, that's the hand of Hashem. The hand of Hashem, Hashem, means every, when you're walking on the street. Not that you're walking on the street and you, you came two minutes later and there was a crash and you could have been there. That's not, that's not a weird little stories that happen. They call them miracles, etc. But these are like, you know, rat coincidences, what you want to call them. Hashem means that my life, all the details of my life, everything that's happening in the, in, in the, in the context of my life, is specifically tailored for my best benefit. What does my best benefit mean? Doesn't mean that I'm going to become a multi-billionaire. Doesn't become become the biggest talmud chacham. Whatever your talents are, that's what's, that's what you're going to become. Whatever you you have that capacity to become, you're going to become. The shkafa pratis is that Hashem put you in this world, like continuously to, to to place you in a, in a in a space, in the context that will allow for the greatest possibility of who you could become. Always, that's a shkafa pratis. So maybe nothing eventful happened in your life. You never saw a shkacha pratis like that. That doesn't mean there's no shkacha pratis. Shkacha pratis means that my life, if I think about my life, the fact that I'm married to this person and these are my children, and this is I live and this is where I place I am, the context of my life that I have, that this is the body that I have and this is the strength that I have, this is the mind capacity I have, everything that's going on in my life is there tailored specifically for me to become my best possible self. That's what divine providence is. So that's what a person has to think about. That, and when, the more a person thinks about this, not thinking about stories about events, thinking about uh, what, it, what it means that Hashem is mashgiach, what does it mean to that your life has, has inherent meaning at every single step, that nothing is, is random, nothing is just by coincidence, not the people that you know, not the friends that you have, not the friends that you don't have, not the, that your life is orchestrated and has meaning, that brings a person joy. 
So that's the that's that's what a, that's what a shkacha process really means. So I think it's not about like some type of inspiration that you feel, oh wow, this worked out, and then you wonder why it didn't work out for me, and then they say, oh, it's not really a shkacha process. No, it's not a shkacha process. It probably means every single detail of your life, even the not even the other every event that happens in your life is divine providence. Yeah, I, we usually do speak about shkacha process as something correct. Uniquely, uh, right, and so when, and, but popping then, out in your life, but then it's not like a process, right? And then it's this one time happened, okay? So, so it's everything, not, not so unique, everything. I lift my hand, it's a shock process. I have this hand, my, this, everything. That's that's exactly what a shock process means. And so, would the Rav recommend Louis to he should be reflecting on and these life. ideas of the constant, yeah, constant presence of everything and everything? Just think about your life. If you just think about your life seriously a little bit, you'll realize that. That Hashem gave you all the things that you need, really. To, of course, you should always strive for more, etc. But the basic ingredients of, of, you know, just like, you know, in Shara B'Tachem, the Chayim the, 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 talks about this idea of like, you know, a lion is a, is a hunter. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you know, the lion has can, has strong is strong and can, and can run quickly and has good teeth. Okay, you could say that's you could say the reason why he's a hunter is because he has strong teeth. But let's look at the other way around and say it, which means that you're born with the talents that you could become the best possible yourself. That's dashkacha. That and and if you look at it, you'll see you'll see the more you recognize that, the more you see it. Not trying to find the little weird coincidence where you missed the train and things worked out. Just regular life. Just think about your life. Just think about Jenna. You know, even think about the most. Biggest things that you did, did in your life, you'll realize that actually they were, they were, when they happened or when they were chosen, they felt like the most smallest movie you ever did. Because hmm. sometimes you think like, oh, I married this person because of this. I moved there because... It's not true, actually. It's actually like one weird event. Yeah. Someone said something and therefore you said something and then the next thing you know, you're married to this person. Which that is Ashkaha Protas. Like the small little things actually created the biggest blessings in your life you know someone said a word and then you end up moving here someone said this and you end up picking up a guitar to play like this someone just said it and they didn't really they said it they said it but you can you interpret it correctly and you heard it correctly and that was the message you had to hear and your life took a whole different trajectory and i think that's what people have to think about like thinking in their in their own life like those those tiny little small things that actually led to the biggest things in their life then you see that shock in your life Thank you. Um, we have a, another question yeah. from Louis, if that's okay. All right, sure. He asks, how are tzaddikim infallible? I guess you could ask, are tzaddikim infallible? Why should I trust a tzaddik on what they're saying? Do I trust them since they're great, or that which they are saying is great, i.e. true? If it's the latter, can I discount those parts of Itzadik's teachings that aren't exactly true? Uh, this, is a, this is a very loaded question because, yeah. like, who's Itzadik? You have to, like, right. you, you decide this person's Itzadik. Let, let's just talk about the idea of Itzadik. Of the idea of Itzadik, especially the way the author writes in Tanya, which is the idea of Itzadik, the ultimate idea, not this Itzadik in name, but Itzadik actually in practice, is somebody that has completely transcended as much as human possible 
And there's a story about even the, about the Baal Shem Tov and the Maggit that he says, it's a long story, but basically because you even have a body, it's impossible to transcend it completely. But the idea is as much as humanly possible you transcend it, therefore you become a medium through which the Shekhinah and the Baris, the Shekhinah speaks through you, which means you just become a conduit for life, which is when a person really tr- transcends their own personal interests in this world. Like, you know, most people, when they they gauge with this world, they're always thinking like, what could I gain out of that? Right? What's, uh, you know, if I meet somebody, I'm thinking, okay, like in this conversation, what could I have from this? Um, but then there's, there's certain people that at certain times, some people, some people have that as well. Some like, you know, I'm just going to actually be there for them, for the other person. Forget about my gaining. And, you know, it's either either self-gain or to sound impressive. So that's like the second step. If you can't gain anything out of a conversation, the second step is like, how can I sound impressive in this conversation? But the ultimate step is like, how can I just be, how can I be present in this conversation for that other, for that other, for that other person? The moment you start living this way, and it's not like it lives this way, you know, 24-7, a person that really evolved his consciousness to that state, then it's no longer about their ego. So if it's no longer about their ego, that there's no self-interest, no vested self-interest in this process, then they become a direct conduit to, re- to reveal Hashem's presence in this world. And therefore, whatever they say is, is what the Shekhinah is being, is being said at this point. So if, if there's a tzaddik that lives on that, on that madrega, then it's not a matter of trust. It's, it's the word of Hashem that's passing through this, this person, the word of the, of, of the Shekhinah. Now, is it still possible for the tzaddik to still make a mistake? You know, that's a, that's a good question. You know, um, the Kliyakar says that even a tzaddik in Kabbal Lashon uh, that's possible. And in that, in that story, that's actually printed in the back of the Tillam that the previous Rebbe brings down a story that Moshe Rabbeinu got angry and and, 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 and and the story was that that the Balsham told the Magid, I think, or the other way around, what, that because Moshe Rabbeinu still had a body. So even Moshe Rabbeinu. Mm. So however you understand that on the level of Moshe, but we're saying that, that the more a person takes himself that personal vested personal interest out of the, out of life, of what, what could I gain? How could I be impressive in this situation? The more they actually become a conduit to reveal the presence of Hashem in this world, the, and therefore the more they're, you know, infallible. So it doesn't sound like it's just a dogmatic trust in a, no, it's absolutely not in a person that. because they say so. No, absolutely not a trust Actually, you should be critical against them and to, you know, um, uh, yeah, you, you, could, you have to challenge, you have to understand. You know, there's, you know, there's, a, there's a story like this that some Chassidic, the third Chabad Rebbe was once said over a Chassidic discourse, said over a minor. After he said over a minor, there was a debate between Reb Hill Parachet and one of the sons of Samach said, what exactly is their father, the Rebbe meant? And one said the Rebbe meant this, the other said went like this, and they, they were arguing. So it's like, let's go to the Rebbe, let's go to the Samach Tzedek, we'll ask him. They came to the Samach Tzedek, and Samach Tzedek sided with the son's interpretation. And Rebbe says, I disagree. So Samach Tzedek said, but I said the Maimer. He said, no, he said, when you said the Maimer, Hashem's presence was being wrested through you, you were just a conduit. Now we're both logical people trying to figure out what that word of Hashem was. You say it meant this way, I say it meant that way. It's a very hmm. you know interesting way of thinking, but that's them that stuck hmm. Very interesting. Well, thank you very much, Rav. Okay, my pleasure. 
listening to Ralph Pinson's podcast. To submit questions or to sponsor a future episode, please email ralphpinsonpodcast at gmail.com. The link is in the description below. Thank you.